Okay, so this is, um, for those of you, I think everybody knows this. If you're in here, you should know this. We uh, took the month of May to do a uh, combined Sunday school uh, series on the theme of worship. The reason why is that every uh, year for the month of May, the session decided, uh, it's been, been about three years now, uh, to shut down all adult and youth Sunday school and to give me the opportunity to lecture on an issue that um, the, the elders and pastors of the church feel like um, our congregation is in need of guidance on. Um, not necessarily because we don't do it well, but more so because um, we maybe need to understand it a little bit more. Um, so we've done things like infant baptism and, and things like that that we usually get a lot of questions on. Uh, this year we chose the theme of worship uh, because we obviously get a lot of questions about worship. Um, and what we have done thus far is uh, did the first week was on the regulative principle of worship, which essentially speaks about a theology of worship uh, from the scriptures. You can go back and listen to that. The second week uh, we talked about liturgy. In worship, uh, so what do we do? How, what do we enact while we're here, and the different components of it, and why that's important? And we had a really good discussion on that. Last week we picked up the uh, issue of music and worship. So those are the two kind of main components you, you, you can say of worship is liturgy and music. And we talked about music uh, last week. If you are not at either of the past two week discussions, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. We would love for everybody. Uh, to listen to those. And so um, those are the kind of the big topics on worship that we wanted to talk about. We wanted to talk about the regulative principle of worship. We want to talk about our theology of liturgy and our theology of music. And then this is Memorial Day weekend. And so there was talk uh, when we first planned out the series. There was talk of just making it a three-week uh, lecture series on worship be done, give everybody the weekend off. Uh, truly because I felt like I could cover what I wanted to cover in those three weeks. Um, however, I made the decision to, to not do that and do something a little bit different with this last week, which is what we're going to be doing here this morning. Um, I thought it'd be helpful to have more of a discussion Q&A type with Justin, and I'll explain who Justin is here in a moment. Um, I, this, what I have discovered is a lot of people um, are discipled well by just having conversation. And, um, and that's kind of how I'm envisioning this. Uh, Justin Carlson has been on staff with our church now for two years, almost, almost two years. Uh, we uh, hired him as the uh, worship, music, and arts uh, director uh, downtown at our downtown campus. So if you've been downtown, you have... Uh, seen Justin, although he's been here in and out on a few things, so you've probably seen him a little bit before. Um, but when we were looking for the right person to direct that ministry, um, one of the high qualifications was we just don't want someone who is a, a very gifted, talented, and brilliant musician, although Justin is that. He is, he is a brilliant musician. Um, he's, he's been working on some projects that are going to be coming out this year. Um, our church has put together a Psalms project. He, he has written, um, he's written some songs um, that go along with the Psalms. Uh, 
He's written some uh, hymns that go along with our First Peter series. He and I have worked on some hymns together. And um, he's currently recording all that using mu musicians in our congregation. And a lot of that will be coming out this year. Um, it's really good stuff. So there's a lot of exciting, uh, musical, talented stuff about Justin. But what really drew us to Justin is his robust theology of worship. Uh, the way he thinks about worship, uh, the way he imagines it. And um, he and I get to talk about this stuff all the time. It's kind of a, I don't know, it's a thing I love to talk about. Obviously, it's come across in these, in these uh, Sunday school talks. Um, and he and I get to talk about it a long time. And I just said, you know, on this Memorial Day weekend where most people are out, why don't we just have Justin come and let me kind of interview him so that you can kind of hear uh, some of his thoughts about worship, his passions, and, and things like that. And so uh, that's what this is going to be. It's just going to be a Q&A uh, dialogue with someone that I think is uh, incredibly gifted, not just as a musician, but as a theologian of worship. Um, he is under care of our presbytery and pursuing ordination. His long-term vision is that he wants to be a pastor of worship, which I absolutely love that vision. Too often we think of um, musicians who direct worship instead of a pastor who does music. And that's kind of his passion. So he is in the process of getting ordained to be a pastor and uh, pastor of, of music and worship and all that. So that's the introduction to Justin. Uh, does that cover you? You want to tell them, tell them anything else about yourself? Uh, where are you from? Kids, family, all that stuff? Yeah, just real quick. Uh, originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Went to the University of Tennessee um, unapologetically. Uh, I'm surrounded by them. I know. Hold on. He says he's from Nashville. Now, now if, you're, um, if you're a little bit older in the crowd, um, you may remember what? This is an important part of your story. You may remember um, back in the heyday of the uh, cheesy Christian music movement, there was a man named Pete Carlson. I don't know if you remember Pete Carlson. Um, he had concerts and all this stuff. You can go to YouTube and, and YouTube Pete Carlson, and what will come up is a 1980s version of Justin. He looks just like Justin with the 80s look. It's uh, basically me with the perm. Yeah, him with the perm. And uh, his dad is Pete Carlson, who, who was instrumental in kind of the, uh, uh, the Christian music scene back in the day. And uh, Jamie... Heinley, is it his testimony? Is that right? Jamie Heinley, one of our elders, you became, what, what happened there? How about that? So Jamie Heinley, who's an elder at our church and chair of the staff committee, which means he's the boss of everything around here, was at a Pete Carlson concert where he heard the gospel and became a Christian. So there you go. Yeah, and Kelly Holt also. And Kelly Holt, yes, Kelly Holt. So. Anyway. Overlap with him at Taylor University. We're wasting our time. Go. We are wasting our time. But um, I'm glad to meet you. I'll crap if you need it. Um, uh, married to Betsy, 12 years. Uh, we have a five-year-old named Benjamin and a two-year-old named Lisi. Um, just great, gloriously stubborn kids, but um, it's been a lot of fun. And, and we've, you know, we've been here almost two years. And um, what God has done in our family and in my life in these two years is, is, is pretty remarkable. Um, I think God has positioned this church in a very unique way um, to, to shepherd 
people, and, and we've been really encouraged to be a part of that. Great. All right, let me, let me just ask a really open-ended, you can run with this wherever you want question, and, and I'll interject as need be. Let me just ask you this. Um, we've talked a lot about worship here, liturgy, music, all that stuff. If you could just say, where do you think the, the church is missing it when it comes to worship? And church, I'll define even more specific to, I would say, kind of the modern evangelical uh, American church. So kind of our little bubble of Christianity. Where do you think we're missing it uh, when it comes to worship? So maybe just a charitable critique of worship culture. You can go wherever you want with that. Okay, I, I'll just try to bullet point it, and um, you can stop me okay. if, if I'm not being clear. Uh, the first thing that came to mind uh, when you asked me this question earlier this week <clears throat> was uh, the use of Scripture. And, and by that, um, I, I've just been in a lot of churches where uh, Scripture is, is only addressed, maybe even reduced, to, to the sermon. Uh, and oftentimes where it's read at the beginning and then uh, the pastor just uses it kind of as a launching pad and then it's, it's not really uh, referenced a lot throughout the sermon. But I think, I think also just throughout a service, um, my experience is, is that there, there's just a lot of people that are not familiar with the reading of scripture in a worship service. Um, and not only that, I think reading of Scripture in, in a br- the broader context of or understanding of the, the story of redemption. So from Genesis to Revelation, uh, we believe that Scripture is very applicable to our lives. And, and it's very easy for us to just, just to go throughout and kind of cherry pick the things that, that we immediately understand or that, that make us feel a certain way. But I, I think when we are reading portions of scripture, even large portions of, portions of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, we are getting a, a broader vision of what God is doing and what God has done. And I, I just think oftentimes we, a worship service or, or something we learned is, is reduced to like a tweet or, you know, some great quote. Uh, and, and I just think it's easy for us to forget that God's word is living and active, and there's power in its, um, in just the reading of it uh, in a service. And so I, I'm grateful that we, um, that our tradition, I think, has a high view of that, and that we're reading from the Old Testament, we're reading the Psalms, we're, we're reading the New Testament, and preaching in both. Yeah, I, I often tell, and not just in the, pro, the, the priority of Scripture, but the priority of the fullness of Scripture, like how you said that, of from Genesis to Revelation, and one of the things you all hear from me often is one of the benefits of um, the way we do preaching here is um, I've got to preach on um, Jesus uh, going to going to uh, proclaim victory to the spirits in prison, and like in the days of Noah, baptism now saves you. Like it's I an prom- easy passage. Easy passage, right. Mm-hmm. It, it, but it, I promise you, if I just said... What are my talking points? Can I find a passage that fits that and that will launch into it? I don't know if I'd ever, I'd go my whole ministry career without that. 
without that, uh, without preaching on that verse. But you would even say incorporating it into the, just the whole whole of worship. Um, I would yeah. even see downtown maybe even has that even more co- incorporated than we even do here. We could learn from you on that. But there's it's really scripture saturated, even in the way you write your confessions and and, and whatnot. Yeah, uh, I was I was at a, a worship conference in January up in um, up at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and um, N.T. Wright uh, gave this really, um, this talk on the use of scripture in, in the service and, and even creatively thinking about how can we incorporate more scripture and really emphasizing the grander story of redemption. But one thing he said was uh, oftentimes we don't give enough time uh, to let the Bible tell its own story. That we're so quick to kind of fit our story into the narrative, um, you know, and, and even I had a seminary professor and she said, we are so prone to just jumping to application. Like we sit down over a sermon and we're like, oh, that's great, but tell me what to do. When she said, for her, the, the, the posture when we enter into worship uh, and when we are hearing the word preached is, or, or when we're reading the word on our own, is to start with, what does this tell us about who God is? And that being our launching point and not starting at application uh, and then trying to figure out, okay, how does, that, how does God fit into that? But the reading of Scripture, the uh, meditating on Scripture, um, being still before the Lord, all those things, I think, begin to let the Bible tell its own story, begin to let God speak into our lives. And I think from that, when we start with oh, who, who is God, I mean, the implications for that alone are are uh, are vast. Yeah, and and I, and one quick point, and then I want you to move on to your, yep. your next thought. But and and I would even say, and, and I've said this over and over and over again in this series, you're learning the story of Scripture, you're learning who God is, and you don't know it. I, I don't want I don't want people to think that. And and every week when we have so much Scripture in our in our uh, even if you don't remember the scripture readings, even if you don't like make a connection in the scripture readings, or, or even if you don't remember the sermon two days later, that the scriptures are week after week teaching you a story and teaching you who God is. So, all right, scripture-saturated worship. What else would you say? Yeah, real, just, just real yep. quick on top of that. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it would probably be a, a good practice to take that bulletin uh, home with you and at some point during the week go through the confession of sin again read mm. through those scriptures um, I, I just think uh, the, the rhythms that we establish on a Sunday morning uh, are not isolated into a Sunday morning I, I think they should bleed into our lives and affect the rhythms of, of our daily lives and worship so, alright number two did you want to say something no uh, we'll keep going um, I left you speechless um, uh, the, the next thing, uh, and we don't have to talk real long about this, but, but I think placing too high a value on music. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I say that as a musician, as someone who really values uh, corporate song, the, the unity expressed when we are singing together, the, the horizontal component uh, that we experience in God's worship. And, and as an aside, I love this church because it is a singing church. I, I, downtown and then when I'm here at various times, I, I always walk away thinking, man, these people sing. Yeah. Uh, and I think that 
and we'll get to this in a minute, but, but I think that alone, the fact that we are singing is, um, is evangelistic in a way. Yeah. Um, but I think there is a misconception, though people will always push against it, that, that worship equals music. And, um, and, and I think we've compartmentalized the, the corporate rhythms uh, of our worship service, you know, confession of sin, reading of scripture, the preaching of the word, the sacraments, all those things. And, and we've, it's almost like we've put too much stock in the music uh, in, in that we allow the music to determine whether we got something out of that service or not. Um, and specifically, if you enjoyed the music, right? I got something out of it. Yeah, I, I mean, my experience in churches has been that a lot of time people, you know, they get, they're upset and, and you know, I, the Holy Spirit wasn't working or moving or I, um, I didn't really get anything out of that because they didn't have that emotional connection um, in the worship. And, and I think, um, I, I'm not sure we're shepherding our people well if, if our worship service is just music and a sermon and that's it. Um, I just think there's got to be more to it and, and, and we've got to, I've had so many conversations with people about why we even have the confession of sin? Why would we do that for you know a new creation in Christ? And just trying to explain to them the role that that plays in us understanding the gospel every week. It's just this rhythm of the gospel um, that we're incorporating week after week, um, and in that it's not a time for us to just wallow and say "woe is me," but it's a time to acknowledge that before a holy God, like we don't have excuse. Um, but this same holy God says, come boldly to my throne of grace. And so that's what we're going to do together. And then on the other side of that, we remember that, that we are forgiven. And, and I, I really, I strongly believe that that process, uh, is hugely formational. So too high of an emphasis on music. And you say that as a musician, yes. too much stock and worship was good. If I, if the music connected, with me. right. Which is understandable. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, music is, is a very emotional thing. And so if it doesn't stir our emotions in some capacity on, on a particular Sunday, um, I think it's easy for us to make that jump. And, and, and I understand that. And, and, you know, when people have, when I have those conversations with people, I don't, you know, not, I, don't, I don't attack them. You know, I acknowledge like, man, I'm so grateful that that you worship and that you sing and that you put so much value in that. Cause on the flip side, there, are, there are probably others who think they just, they put all their, their eggs in the preaching basket. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I think we've got to, we probably all have our own, uh, idolatries when it comes to worship. And I think we just need to be willing to, uh, to be aware of those, to, to be teachable. Okay. What else? Where are we missing it? Um, I would say, uh, I, I don't really, I didn't really know how to word this, but maybe being, um, too seeker sensitive, um, almost unintentionally giving the planning of our worship service, uh, to, uh, the non-Christian. Um, and many years ago, I was reading a book by a woman named Marva Dawn, uh, who 
has written a lot around the, uh, the area of worship, and, and I've benefited a lot from her. Uh, but when I was, I was at Second Pres in Memphis, right out of college, uh, the University of Tennessee, and, um, and, uh, and, I, and I was reading this book, it was just, I was doing a youth ministry internship, and, and we had all these required readings, but we were also allowed to pick something, and, and for whatever reason, I picked this book by Marva Dawn called A Royal Waste of Time, which is, I thought, just a beautiful title, um, that in the world's eyes, what we're doing here when we gather, uh, it's not really pragmatic. It doesn't have a whole lot of point when, when the world looks at what we're doing. Um, and, and so for them, it, it's a waste of time. But, but there's a lot more going on, obviously, when we gather to worship. But, but she, she has this, and this is, again, this is the first time I really read this, but she said, you know, if we are really striving for biblical worship, um, it's going to be evangelistic. Um, so, uh, so we don't have to think so much about, okay, we've got to pick this music, we've got to do this kind of sermon to appeal to this person. Um, I, I think we begin, to dis, we begin to disconnect from who God is when we start to think, almost go too far to the side of, okay, what... You know, what does the unchurched person think when they come in here? And yes, should we be aware of that? Yes, should we be sensitive to it? Yes, should there be um, ways in which we teach uh, people throughout our service why we do the things we do? Yes, I think that's part of our role of shepherding our people and of, of uh, being hospitable uh, to the unchurched. Um, but I'm just not so sure that that should dictate uh, how, uh, how we worship as God's people and, and even you know, as we think about our theology. Does that make sense? You, you could probably ask some clarifying questions. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, it, okay, let me ask you. So in saying we don't craft worship um, to, uh, we don't craft worship around the preferences of someone who doesn't worship our God, are you? You're, but you're not saying that worship is not evangelistic. Right. Okay, so what is evangelistic about worship that's, that's crafted according to use the language we used in our, in our first talk? That's, that's worship that is crafted according to uh, the regulative principle of worship with God's preferences in mind and the, and the mystery of the sacraments and, the, and the, the faithful preaching of God's word. You know, these things, how is that evangelistic? When people may come in here, may even be like, "What are these people doing?" Well, I, I think it. Um, again, I think the regulative principle, and, and it's funny. It took me a long time to 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 not equate, um, you know, like strictness and right. um, sterility. Is that the verb of sterile or the noun of sterile no I don't know if it is it is now um uh I there was just a long time where I heard regulative principle and I was like oh that just feels so wrong but when you begin to read it and understand it um it's there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of freedom uh 
within that template. And I think the purpose of that template is to kind of immerse the people, Christian and non-Christian, in the beauty and the mystery of the gospel. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I, <laughs> there have been so many times where I've sat in a worship service and, and I'm like, gosh, the gospel just wasn't in any way, shape, or form communicated. I mean, there was this rousing message, but at what point were we confronted with a holy God and then invited into this, um, this relationship with uh, a gracious God? You know, it's the transcendence and eminence. Um, there's a guy named uh, Justo Gonzalez um, who says, Christian worship is, among other things, the place where we catch a glimpse of the future reign from which and toward which God calls us. And he says this, a glimpse that both supports us in our pilgrimage, which we're certainly getting in our first Peter sermons, in our pilgrimage, and then judges us in our attempts to be too settled. Um, and, and I think that God's word does confront us. Um, and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, a little um, anecdote, if I'm not answering your question. Uh, not too long ago in our downtown worship service, uh, at the beginning of, of communion, you know, we always fence the table. We basically say, hey, this is, um, this is a table for God's people. Um, if you're not, um, if you don't claim to be a follower of Jesus, uh, we ask that you not take this meal. And there was one of our campus outreach uh, staff people was at the service, I guess, with a college student. And after this, or maybe during or after the service, the student said, hey, uh, I don't think I'm a Christian. Uh, he was so struck by the way that the table was presented that he was confronted with it. And he didn't come take the meal. And for him, that was in some ways terrifying. It was like, gosh, I don't think I can take this meal. I knew I need to examine my own heart. Um, and later on, they had this conversation and, and, and uh, the staff person led him to the Lord. And, and I think we tend to look at the fencing of the table as, uh, as cruel. Um, we should invite everyone to this table, which I, I don't think we should. I mean, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation, but, uh, but the way that God used that, the fencing of the table, to move in someone's heart, uh, I, I think is pretty remarkable. And, and I think we often underestimate something we do every week, every week. But I think, again, it comes back to what you're saying. It's part of the rhythm of the, the regulative principle um, and just how we see the, the, uh, the worship service progressing from you know, the prelude to uh, the benediction or, or the postlude, I guess. Yeah. Well, the, the illustration I use, you, you, you all may, maybe have heard me use it before, but um, if you ever travel overseas, um, if you ever travel overseas to visit another cu culture or country, how disappointed you would be if you showed up and uh, if you showed up at that culture and what you encountered was essentially a a cheap imitation of American culture. Where if you were to travel and say, hey, we really want you to feel welcome here in China, so we've, we've kind of, we've kind of, you know, brought in fried food and whatever, I don't know, whatever, whatever, whatever we are, you know, whatever, I don't know, uh, 
football or whatever. I don't know. But we, 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 we've kind of tried to recreate your culture for you. And I think you would rightfully say, well, I, I don't want that. Like, I'm here because I want to know what is this culture like. And, and um, I don't think you realize how much um, people who would not identify themselves as Christians want that. They want to come and, and, and see this, this unique, um, uh, sacred culture that is Christianity uh, with all of its quirks and weirdnesses, with all of its creeds and confessions, that that, 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 that is something powerful. In fact, I had um, one time, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a guy who's a, a little bit of a uh, high-profile guy in our state who visited our church one time. I followed him, went, went to lunch with him that following week. And that was the exact thing he said to me, is he said, uh, you know, I get invited to churches all the time, all over. And he said, um, uh, he said, it just, I just thought it was really cool that y'all kind of just were who you were. And I got to see that and uh, didn't feel like anybody was trying to uh, put on a show to impress me with, with, with where I'm coming from or anything. And, and um, so, yeah, I think, I think the evangelism of, of worship is uh, bearing witness to the kingdom of God. Uh, being, being the unique place that we are and letting this, letting this time be kind of a sacred time to just be honest with, with who we are. Yeah, and I think there, there are, for all of us, there are, there are limits to our, um, our tendency toward consumerism and consumption. And I just think some, oftentimes we hit that place where we're just like, gosh, what am I doing? I'm worn out, I'm exhausted by just this overstimulation. And I, I know for me, like, I, I don't want um, corporate worship to, uh, to look exactly like the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so prone to distraction and I'm so prone to overstimulation uh, that for me, I, I just long for worship to be different. And mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said about that that guy coming in and saying, man, this is, I, I don't think I realized that this even existed. Um, so. And I, I, one more thought, and then I, I want to hear, I'm asking one question. I will say that certainly in our tradition, though, something we constantly need to be wary of is, is um, you know, uh, being different, being unique, letting this be a holy, sacred time is great. Where we struggle, though, is... Um, um, helping people understand this is why we do what we do, inviting them in, letting it be. I, I talked, we talked CrossFit last week. At, mm-hmm, yeah. So I talked about it, how in CrossFit, they're really weird and they're not ashamed of it. But boy, they're really good at like enveloping you into their weirdness. And I think that that's where our tradition struggles. We're, we we want to be, we're, we're good at saying this is who we are. We're not ashamed of it. Um, we don't want to craft worship according to uh, the preferences of people who don't even worship our God, all those different things. But where we really struggle and need to repent is thinking creatively everything from how we do worship, how we enact worship, the warmth of it, the, the inviting community of it, to if you invite a friend, um, explaining all that stuff. We just That's where we really need to grow is, is inviting people into our worship and being evangelistic with it. But yeah, anyway. I totally agree. And, and I think... Um... At the end of the day, we don't, we don't want to put the brunt of our church's evangelism on our worship service. Yeah. Like, 
evangelism is the burden of everyone. Yeah. And, and so I think that, that, that teaching component is, is really important because I think oftentimes we just assume that everyone who comes through our doors has some understanding of this tradition or has grown up in, in, in it. And, and my understanding, I've just been here two years, is that it's becoming more common, like when we have a membership class that 90% of the people are not familiar with this tradition. 99. 99. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could it, someone it, check that? Um, yeah. Uh, and then uh, yeah, in downtown, it's the same thing. Um, yeah. I think there are a lot of people who are like, man, this is weird. Uh, but they keep coming back. And, and yeah, it's just those, those conversations that happen over time. But at the end of the day, yeah, evangelism is, is everyone's responsibility. It can't just fall on the pastors and how they plan a worship service. Okay. Let me ask you this question, and then we, we, we got to wrap up. Uh, speak to the preferences thing. Um, you, you know, I, I, we talked, we ended with this last week about the call. I don't know if you had a chance to go online and listen to it last week, but, but I, I ended with um, a real kind of like the balance of not being ashamed of loving your preferences in worship, um, uh, being passionate about your preferences in worship, and holding that humbly, dying to those, choosing the loving, loving your neighbor by uh, choosing the preferences of others, not canonizing your preferences and stuff like that. Just at the end of the day, I just we just said this last week. At the end of the day, so much of our conversation and so much of the debate about about worship, at the end of the day, it just comes down to our preferences. So talk about preferences from your point of view in, in worship. Um, I'm leaving that intentionally open-ended. When I say preferences of worship, what, 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 where does that go with you? Um, I think we underestimate uh, how divisive our preferences can be. Um, that there's nothing wrong with having preferences. There's nothing wrong with having convictions. Uh, I think the trouble comes when we are so convinced that our preference or our conviction is, is the standard or is the most biblical, whatever, that we just, we close off uh, to, to other people, to other cultures, to other preferences, and... Um, and I just don't think that that's healthy. I, I think we all, there, there's room in all of our lives um, for error. There's, there's room for uh, growth. Um, I, I just, and, you know, just as we underestimate how divisive our preferences, preferences can be, I think we often underestimate how, like, incultured we are in our way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was at, at, at this same conference, was listening to this, uh, someone speaking, and uh, she is world, she's, she's kind of known all throughout the world uh, about addressing these ideas of diversity and, and how can we bring all these cultures together. Because when we look at Revelation, it's pretty clear that, you know, worship is, is not just, uh, you know, Presbyterian Church of America worship. At Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. It's every tribe, tongue, and nation. And, and for anyone who has traveled, like Robert was saying, I know you've probably experienced and been moved by worship in other cultures 
that didn't really fit within your preferences uh, or, or even maybe even convictions. But for some reason, you're moved because you're experiencing this culture that is so unfamiliar, worshiping God in a very, um, uh, very emotional and, and very uh, real way. And so, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, I think we need to be willing to, to, uh, I think we just need to acknowledge that a lot of times our preferences are just uh, culturally driven. Just the way we do things is, is just because that's what's familiar. And that doesn't make it better than someone else. Um, you and, know, it's, and I would even say, and it's okay. And that's okay. Like, like to admit that is okay. Like in other words, for us to try to be something that we're not, we'd be really bad at it. You know, people come in and say, say like, why don't you do this? And I'd be like, because we'd be terrible if we tried to do that. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, that's, like, these are the kind of questions I wrestle with because uh, I, I guess it's, it's just thinking through, you know, that tension of like, okay, we don't, we don't want to craft a worship that is, like, the whole thing is completely unfamiliar just for the sake of being culturally relevant or culturally sensitive. However, there, ha- there has got to be ways um, where we can incorporate yeah. um, other, other, other cultures um, into our worship. And, and that, could, that could be simply uh, like prayers of lament, like the role of lament in, in our worship, thinking about our brothers and sisters um, you know, who are being slaughtered for their faith. Um, and, and how do we, as, as, a, as a body of Christ, uh, acknowledge that? I, I think there's even a sense of like how we pray or, or how culturally sensitive are we when we are praying together. Um, but I, I do, I guess the music part of it is probably the biggest, um, the biggest challenge. Uh, but at the same, like I, I, I was at this conference, we had this worship service where most of it was in a different language, um, the singing at least. And there was, there was a man from Pakistan uh, who, who led this, this refrain in between all these different prayers from different nations. And over time, you caught on to it, and they taught you what we were singing. Um, and I, I was moved. I mean, I was in tears by the end of it, singing this song in Arabic and initially, you, you kind of look around, everyone's kind of giggling. But throughout the service, by the end of it, you've memorized it and you know it. And there's this, this solidarity with those who have suffered. And, mm. and you're really moved by it. And, and I, for me, I'm thinking there's got to be room for that uh, in our worship services. Um, maybe it's okay if every now and then we sing a short refrain, um, I don't know, in Spanish. I, I don't know. Um, maybe it's okay in that moment that we're kind of uncomfortable. Uh, but again, I think some of that comes back to how we teach. Um, and so I, I don't know if it's as easy to say, okay, if we tried this, we'd be terrible at it. If we overhauled our worship service to, right. to appeal to yeah. a different culture, we would be terrible at it. But um, Stretch. There, there's just, yeah, I mean, just thinking about solidarity, um, hospitality, that if someone from another culture came in here, that they would feel welcome. 
Um, so yeah, again, I, this is something that I've thought a lot, a lot about just in the past few months, and, and I wrestle with it a lot and feel like I'm reading this book about it, and I feel myself tensing up, but then I'm like, why am I tensing up? Mm. Is it because I'm so held to my convictions and my preferences that, you know, I don't want to be wrong? Uh, and I think a very practical thing is just start to look into other types of music. Um, pick up a book uh, from, from someone that, that doesn't necessarily fit into your theological convictions. Uh, I, I guarantee you if you read that book, there's going to be something in there that you learn. Uh, and I mean, some of the books that I've read in seminary that, that have had the greatest impact on me were the ones that I didn't necessarily agree with. But while I was reading them, I, I would get mad. I'd be like, oh, he's wrong. But then I'd be like, oh, wait. Yeah. And a lot of those were, were uh, people who were basically challenging me to think outside of my Western uh, paradigm. Like, it's a guy, you know, in South Korea, you know, who's, the gospel is exploding there. And he's like, well, let me challenge the way you think about this. And, and at That's the end good. of the day, it's not that I have to agree with him, but I'm at least engaging it. And so maybe we just need to listen more. Um, and maybe be less sure sometimes and just be willing to, to listen and not, and not talk. <laughs> Thank you for Thank uh, you. being coming here and um, your role at our church and for leading us. Uh, you, you Rabbit Run folks don't know how much he is leading behind the scenes just through his influence over me and um, our, the other pastors and help us, us, helping us think in these ways. Will you, uh, will you close us in prayer? I might ask you to do it in Arabic if you don't mind. And, <laughs> Um, Funny story. I, I, tomorrow, I am I'm is, is singing in a wedding, and, and the bride is um, is from India, and and I am singing a song in Hindi. Uh, that's a true story. Robert didn't believe me at first, but I, yeah, I've been like, I've listened to it like a hundred times. Give us, give us a taste. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. <laughs> Vokuda mira chedevahe muchiku kami. Okay, that's, that's taste. Yep. Um, awesome. Yeah, so it, it's been pretty fun. Pray for us. Yes. We've got to worship in five minutes, right. so, you know, just keep the prayer short. Gracious God, we thank you for um, this church. Yeah. Uh, we, Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Sabbath. We thank you, Lord, that uh, your word is living and active, that it confronts us, but it also comforts us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would challenge us. Uh, we pray that you would give us uh, a greater confidence today um, in who we are and where we stand because of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, thank you all for listening, and uh, quick transition to our next worship. <laughs>